You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to episode 106 of the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Victor Marks, and joining me is Neil Hughes. Hey, Victor, how's it going? Amazing. How are you doing, Neil? I'm doing all right. Good. So let's dive right in. This has been an exciting week. Um, the, the, the big news from this week is the Apple earnings call. And, and we ran this story, and our headline is just, it's an epic headline, right? Apple smashes expectations, record-setting $78.4 billion in revenue on sales of 78.3 million iPhones. Yeah, I mean, this was a huge quarter for Apple. Um, consensus called for revenue to be a little bit lower, uh, $77.4 billion, so they beat it by a billion dollars. Um, and the uh, iPhone sales were at a record 78.3 million. That that bested the uh, 74.8 million that they had achieved a year ago. So they they topped it by almost four million units from a year prior. So the iPhone Seven is a pretty big success. Now to put some of this in perspective, because there have been Apple blowout quarters before where they came in 20, 30 percent higher than expectations or something. Uh, a big part of that was Apple used to give very conservative guidance. Uh, they have since stopped doing that. And so as a result, the expectations on Wall Street have uh, become more realistic. So the fact that they exceeded uh, Wall Street bullish expectations by more than a billion dollars uh, was a pretty good sign for Apple. Um, and that's why you've seen the stock go up uh, since the earnings call on Tuesday. It was up Wednesday uh, about six bucks or so. So uh, pretty pretty good performance for uh, Apple. Um, they, they returned to growth after a year of, uh, of shrinkage, <laughs> for lack of a better term. And uh, yeah, so I mean, a lot to be happy about, I think, here. The, the iPhone is doing very well. The Mac had a good performance. Um, they didn't give any Apple Watch numbers, but Apple said it was the best quarter ever for the Apple Watch. Um, they're, they're, some estimates are pegging it, you know, 5.4 million or so for the Apple Watch in the quarter. Um, the one downside, really, for Apple that remains is the iPad. Um, the iPad continues to uh, see its sales shrink. It's actually selling half as many units per holiday quarter now as it was two years ago, which is a pretty astonishing drop. Um, but Weird. other than that, uh, I mean, the, as the iPhone goes, so goes Apple. That's really their business. And uh, the iPhone is huge. It's bigger than ever. It's not showing any signs of... of uh, going away anytime soon, uh, and to sell almost 80 million phones in a single quarter is a pretty astonishing accomplishment. Yes, it is. But the the uh, am I the only one slightly concerned about the iPad being stagnant? I think a lot of people are concerned about it. Uh, you know, there's a variety of factors at play there. Um, I think when it comes to the iPad, um, number one, people upgrade their phone every year, or every two years, so it's easy to maintain a pace of sales. Uh, I think iPads are more traditionally like uh, computers. People keep them for maybe four or five years. Uh, I know, for example, my parents still have a iPad 2. And it, even though it doesn't run iOS 10, they don't care. They don't use any of the features of iOS 10. They're perfectly happy with it. Um, they don't care. You know, they're, they're older. Their eyesight isn't as great. They don't care about a retina display, things like that. Um, so for them, you know, I say, oh, you know, if you want to get an iPad, now's a good time to get one. They go, ah, I don't really care because they don't want to spend $500 on another one. So I think that, I think that, uh, the longevity of the iPad is part of a, uh, issue there. Um, and you know, you could say it's this or that or whatever. Uh, one of the things that people point to is the introduction of the plus sized iPhones. Um, that way you only need to buy one device. Your, your jumbo sized iPhone fills the, uh, the need for a tablet, uh, and a phone all in one. Uh, perhaps that's the case. Certainly it's not my use case. Uh, as we've well established here, I like small iPhones and big tablets, but, um, I think there's a few factors at play. Certainly the iPhone plus series, uh, contributes to it. Um, the, the quality hardware that lasts for years. If you go back and use an iPad too, you know, other than the, the lack of a retina display, it's not really that bad. So, yeah. Um, my, my thought is, and I, I've, I've been thinking about this a little bit is, is, you know, alternate futures and what ifs, right. And it's, it's a terrible thing to say, you know, what if Steve jobs were still alive, but, but it's, it's one of those things that I was thinking about where if, if, we'd had that kind of leadership, if we'd still had Forstall, if we'd still had that leadership team installed, um, would the iPad have looked different? Would it have developed in a different path? Would it have gotten a windowing system? Would it have gotten, a, you know, would it have become more of the computer replacement that, that people still talk of it as being potentially? 
you know, it, it's it's hard to say because don't forget that when the app, iPad was first introduced, it didn't really do a lot different from the iPhone. And Apple has kind of gone back and forth on that. Um, you know, they started introducing some iPad-specific features, and then they kind of, with iOS 7 and redesigning iOS, they kind of got away from it, and they sort of tried getting back to it. And it seems like their attention kind of shifts as a company. It's all iPhone. Okay, now we're going to uh, do iPad. Now we're going to do this. Now we're going to do that. Um, I, I think that um, if you look at the history of the iPad, it gets attention, and then it kind of drifts away. I think that there was some attention late 20. Uh, 15, early 2016 with the new iPads, and then we haven't heard anything about them for a while. The rumor is that we're going to get new iPads in either March or April of this year. Uh, Tim Cook said during this week's earnings call that big things are coming for the iPad, but they kind of always say that, so whatever that means. But uh, one of the expectations is that perhaps iOS 10 will get a .1 update um, to bring some new iPad-specific features, maybe enhance the functionality of the Apple Pencil um, and as you and I have talked about many times on the podcast, I think that's an area where uh, Apple needs to differentiate the iPad and iOS on the iPad a little bit more from the iPhone. Uh, the pencil is a good way of doing that, potentially, fingers crossed, some form of cursor input support, whether with a mouse or trackpad or something would be pretty great. Um, you know, more uh, capabilities for the smart connector and accessories that could connect to it. Um, and you know, just more to more that takes advantage of the the larger real estate. If you look at the 12.9 inch iPad, not even all of Apple's apps take advantage of the larger screen and really utilize it, or even are optimized for it. Uh, and you look at apps like Facebook that just aren't optimized for that larger screen. Um, so there's a lot of opportunity there in the software front, um, even with the existing hardware, to make things work better. Yeah. So the attention is elsewhere. You think? Um, I think so, and 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 rightfully so. I mean. Um, you know, people talk about uh, Apple's not focusing on the Mac, right? Um, we'll compare the sales there. The, the Mac uh, had, a, had a record holiday, 5.4 million units, but that's still less than half of what the iPad sold at 13.1 million units. Now, granted, your average Mac selling price is over $1,000 and your average iPad selling price is well less than $1,000. Uh, but still, uh, Apple's selling a lot of iPads, and I don't think that they're going to forget about this market or that they're going to abandon it. But it's not going to get the focus that some people want, just like the Mac is not getting the focus that some people want. Right. And I've been thinking about this. Uh, we were, we, you know, we were talking about other things, and you mentioned Facebook, where Facebook has this idea that, that originally they were a, a social company, then they were going to be a mobile company, and they sort of missed the boat on mobile, right. uh, especially in terms of guiding their own destiny. And so now they're a virtual reality and video first company. <laughs> And, uh, you know, they're going to be focusing on their video apps and apps for video creation and apps for video consumption. Let's be real. They are collecting everything they can find out about you, company. That's what they are. Well, yes, but they need to find those vehicles to do that. Right. right. But, I mean, you log on there and it's like, hey, I saw you were at this place last night. Give it a review. Or, hey, you should update your top five pictures so everybody can see them. Or, hey, I see you haven't updated where you live in a while. Or, hey, I see you haven't updated your, your job in a while. And it's like... Hmm, I wonder why you want me to share that information so badly. I mean, it's so transparent, but we live in a society where people are very uh, willing to share that kind of information that makes it funny. But it, it, it's funny to think back, too, when the iPad first came out, don't forget, Facebook didn't even release a app for the iPad. They kind of refused for, I think it was over a year, right? They did. They're saying, they did. They're saying you know, use it on the Mobile browser web. or something like that, which shows how how little foresight they had uh, as to how successful the iPad would prove to be. And again... Sales are considerably down on the iPad, but they're still selling more than twice as many iPads as they are Macs. So it's a big business. Well, they're going to be putting a uh, Apple TV app together so that Facebook can bring all of the, uh, the Facebook Live video and their other videos to Apple TV. Oh, yeah. Don't get me started on that. When you load up Facebook now, they have a dedicated pane in their app for uh, Facebook Live, and they send notifications anytime any of your friends go live, and there's no way to disable this or turn it off. You sound a little bit miffed about that. It's stupid. It's just new features that they just push on you. All right. Well, so we, we talked about the results, and, and based on those results, the analysts have all raised Apple targets, right? You, you mentioned that a little bit. Mm -hmm. So this is, this is just because of the basically the, the blockbuster debut of the iPhone 7 that they're raising targets? Is that yeah, I, I think that, you know, um, uh, the iPhone 7 is performing a little better than expectations. There was a lot of... Hemming and hawing when the iPhone 7 was announced about 
Oh, it looks the same. Oh, they ditched the headphone jack. Well, it turned out nobody really cared. <laughs> they sold yeah, more you know, it's, than ever. It's funny. There were reviews, like eight-page reviews, 4,000-word reviews, all about the headphone jack being taken away. Do you care? I don't care anymore. Could not care less, no. Um, exactly. I don't feel like that's a huge issue any longer. So it's a funny thing. Um, the, my- the only people that really have a problem with this that I've noticed are, are folks who need to talk on the phone with a headset all day and also need to charge, right? That's that's the biggest slight issue for them. Yeah, I mean, that would really be it. Um, it is an issue like in your car, for example. Um, I'll be using GPS, and I don't have a, a car that does the audio over lightning with a USB port, so it's plugged in just the cigarette adapter. So, yeah, and I'm not going to be getting a new car anytime soon, so that's yeah, it. We'll, we'll, fix up, we'll fix up your Prius. I, It'll be I don't, we'll have that sticker. I don't have a uh, iPhone seven, so it's not an issue for me. I have an iPhone SE and I'm very happy with it, but it's funny. Like the things that matter to us or the things that we think about don't necessarily matter to people who are not technical people. So I was home a couple months ago for the holidays and uh, my mother, um, uh, has had an iPhone five and the I the home button on it was busted and it wasn't really working properly. And so finally I was just like, mom, and she has like her eyesight, is, phone, right? yeah, her eyesight isn't so great. And so she like blows up the font to be huge and stuff like that. And I'm like, mom, get yourself an iPhone seven plus. You're going to be really happy with it. And she was like, oh, I don't know, because, you know, she's a so so you, the dutiful son, recommended that your mother spend large quantities of money yes. on a brand new device. You, you go, go out, mom, mom, spend 800 bucks. She was like, struggling with this tiny phone that like she couldn't read anything on it and all that. And then so I told her, I was like, well, if you want to stick with the tiny phone, just get an iPhone SE. And then she thought about it. She's like, actually, I want the big phone. I said, OK. So I went home over the holidays and she so was you conned your mom into spending tons of money. Did you take a fee for this? No, I did, like, I did, not. Like, I did not. But I will accept I will accept royalties from Apple if they want to send them to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went home and it turned out that my mom had been because again this is the kind of stuff that I don't even think about when I come when it comes to talking about technology or even reviewing technology because it doesn't apply to a lot of our audience but the reason I tell this story is because our audience needs to remember that these are the folks that are out there using these phones. Uh, my mother had her old um, earpods from her iPhone five. And she just knew that she had those headphones. So when she opened the box and got the lightning to headphone adapter, she just started using lightning headphone adapter with her old AirPod or earpods. And then so I was like, Mom, do you still have the, the box for your iPhone 7 Plus? And she said, yeah. And I took it out. And sure enough, there in the box were the lightning connected Apple Air, the earpods. Shiny new ones, right? Yeah. And I was like, Mom, you, you don't have to use the adapter. You can just plug this thing in directly. And she was like, oh, great. And she's like, well, what do I do with this adapter? I'm like, well, if you ever need to plug in like old fashioned headphones, she's like, well, I don't have any other headphones, so I don't care. And that was it. Like that was, <laughs> that was the end of it. Like that not was only the did she not that, mind the using migration the problem right there. Right. She didn't mind using the adapter. She only used the headphones that were in the box. It wasn't a big deal. So it's important. Now, obviously there are a lot of people who still use legacy headphones and don't want to carry an adapter. And I understand their, their plight here. But you have to look at this from the perspective of the average consumer, and that is why Apple sold so many iPhones last quarter, despite removing the headphone jack. Nobody cared. Courage. <laughs> that was a stupid thing to say. I'm not going to defend <laughs> that. But. I just had to. Yeah. So the, the price target raised from, what, $140 per share to $150 target. Is that right? It's about for a lot of the For, for some analysts. Yeah, Other some, analysts, some analysts raised from $125 to $140. But on the whole, everyone's going up on this. Is that yeah, analysts are pretty funny. Like they have to kind of double down, you know. So if they change their price target or their rating on Apple to neutral, they have to justify it. So they'll come out with like excessively negative uh, outlooks on Apple just because they are now neutral on Apple. So you'll see some of these guys will come out and they'll be like, "Oh, it's uh, you know, we're not really sure about how the iPhone eight cycle is going to come or whatever." And and so they are just constantly negative, even when Apple exceeds expectations and does a blowout quarter. Yeah. But the you know one of the things people talk about is is the average selling price of the the device. So for example, the iPhone has an average selling price that that in the past was you know around five hundred sixty one bucks, and and typically the price is around six hundred. So the average selling price of iPhones is is now at a peak of six hundred ninety five dollars. Yeah, um, it, the iPhone seven plus has been a huge success. Apple has. Um, decided to, uh, for better or for worse, put more advanced features into the larger phone. 
So the only way to get the dual camera mode with portrait photos and all that uh, is to get an iPhone 7 Plus. The only way to get slightly more RAM is with the iPhone They've 7 They've always Plus. done this on the bigger model a little bit, right? Whether it was the, the optical stabilization or a little but more not, RAM. or Not to the extent, no. So the RAM was the same before. Uh, this is the first time. On the S model? The yes. S model, it was better. The, the, no, the S model, the RAM was the same. This year's model is the first time they have more RAM on the larger one. And the, the Apple doesn't talk about RAM, so they kind of have to tear it apart yeah. to figure this out. But the, the, the belief is that it may actually be tied to the camera system is the reason they have more RAM on it. Mm. But um, so, yes, this is the first year where uh, they're really, I mean, before, yes, it was optical image stabilization, but they're really differentiating between the plus model and the regular model in a big way, this, this product cycle. And that is likely to continue to uh, develop into a larger and larger chasm, I would believe. Okay. So, but, but the good news for investors obviously is that with a higher average selling price, then as, as sales goes up, even more money coming in. Yeah. Don't and, forget and that it, Apple up the price on the plus this year by like 20 bucks too. Yeah. So it used to be $100 more, now it's $120 more. So, mm-hmm. Very cool. And just because I'm curious, Neil, which which device are you using right now? What's your personal device? You're uh, on the SE? I am on an iPhone SE, yes. All right. So I want to take a moment. We're going to break from this, and we're going to come right back. I want to tell you all about Mara. So Mara is is something we've talked about in the past, but it's been a while, so I want to revisit it. Mara is, is this app that is a free virtual running assistant. And, and basically... You know, technology has changed the way we run. Neil runs. Neil uses his Apple Watch. Neil uses his AirPods and uh, PowerBeats 3 and goes out there and runs. And, and with phones, you know, you can map your routes. You can create playlists. You can track your progress. But for most of that stuff, it meant looking at your phone, right? And so to take advantage of these kinds of things, instead of having to look at your phone, which means stopping motion, losing momentum, and all of that, you can use Mara, which is a hands-free running assistant that uses voice recognition and the microphone in your earbuds to help you optimize your runs. So you tell her what kind of run you'd like to do, you ask questions about your speed, your pace, your location, and she plays albums and playlists, and she can tell you how you're doing in comparison to your past runs or warn you about changes in weather, like if it's about to start raining. She'll also track your progress by noting all of your hotspots, your rough legs, each time you run, things like this, and you can connect Mara to an Amazon Alexa-enabled device as well and ask her about your lifetime statistics, records you've set while you get ready for your next run. So visit mara.ai to download your free virtual running assistant today. That's M-A-R-A dot A-I. You know, have you ever tried Mara? I have not, no. Why don't, you should give it a try. I know you don't have any Alexa-enabled devices, but uh, I'd be curious to see what you think about it. Yeah, I'll give it a shot. So while we're talking about numbers and results and things like that, uh, the so far the first quarter results for iPhone have knocked Samsung out of the park, right? I, I was looking at a story that Roger wrote for us on the site where, where basically um, – Samsung had been in first place, and now they are not in terms of global market share. Yeah, for the quarter, I mean, things kind of ebb and flow when new products are are launched and all that. Um, I think that a combination of the Note 7 debacle um, and the success of the iPhone 7 probably played to Apple's advantage here. You sure know how to take the wind out of a man's sails, right? I I was all puffed up about how great this was, and you said, yeah, they go back and forth. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Thanks for I mean, being so perfectly reasonable and boring. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, if you look at, uh, I mean, okay, last, uh, the, the year ago quarter, Samsung did beat Apple uh, for the holiday quarter. So you are correct. I will, I will give you uh, your uh, uh, victory on that one. Uh, for the year, uh, Samsung still outsold Apple. But again, you got to remember, Samsung has God knows how many phones on the market. Apple yes. has Apple has five phones on the market, I guess. So, um, yeah, Samsung has um, has all kinds of <laughs> different options out there. One of everything. But uh, yeah, so this uh, this last quarter, Apple did, based on estimates from uh, Strategy Analytics, edge out Samsung. So Apple had seventy eight point three million iPhones sold. Samsung had seventy seven point five. Galaxy and whatever the heck else they got out there uh, sold. And those are your top two. Right. So the the reverse way of thinking about this is that Samsung still did very well, despite the fact that they had this major debacle. Yeah, but their year over year uh, comparison in the quarter was down by about four million. So while Apple was up by four million, Samsung was down by four million. So, I mean, it 
could have been a lot worse. Uh, obviously, <laughs> an exploding phone is a pretty bad uh, uh, public relations nightmare. But uh, yeah, Apple, I, I think that people are so entrenched in their ways. I see so many people like on social media or whatever. They're like, well, my my Samsung's fine. Like they're like proud of it or something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if there, Apple- there were the there were the CNET reviewers who, despite the better advice of practically everyone, insisted that they were going to keep using their devices for as long as they could because it couldn't happen to them. Right. Uh, it's just weird. You know, we put ourselves in silos these days. You know, it's your political party or bust kind of thing. And it's um, the, the hooray for my team. Right. Yeah. Whatever that is. And, you know, it's this like fanboy mentality that is very, very strange to me. You know, listen, I write for an Apple site. I like Apple products, but I don't really have a problem saying when they're not very good. Um, and if Apple made a phone that. Uh, had a faulty battery that uh, was prone to, in rare cases, exploding. Uh, you wouldn't hear me defending it or going, "Oh yeah, hooray, I'm fine with my phone." Like, you know, it, <laughs> it's you. Just, you would be talking it up and down about how garbage it was and how they better fix it. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, and Samsung recalled the phone and it's no longer on the market and whatever. But they didn't really do a good job of explaining what the actual failure was, did they? Yeah, I mean, it's supposedly it was a battery issue. Um, it sounded like maybe if the phone, you know, flexed a little bit or something, maybe that would uh, affect the integrity of the battery, which is kind of a known thing in certain phones, but they don't explode or catch fire. So, uh, Samsung, whatever the excuse was, whatever happened there, regardless, there was a serious error on their part. Yeah. But not so serious that they're going to abandon the Note name. They're going to rename the, the device that's coming to replace this one, Note 8. They're sticking with that branding. I, they, I mean, they got time. They may change it. Um, they're supposed to be announcing new phones at the Mobile World Congress later this month. So uh, we will see what they do. But <laughs> I mean, I, I think it would be in their best interest to abandon the. I mean, it's not like Note is that novel of a of a of a brand. I don't think. I think they could change it to something else. Just rip yeah. off Apple. That's what they do anyhow. Just call it a Galaxy Plus. There is that. They could, and it's not like. You know, you know, all of the airline stewardesses or flight attendants, rather, who uh, had to make the announcement telling you that you couldn't have one on the plane um, knew exactly what that device was anyway. So you could keep selling the device, keep selling it with the new name, right? How about this? Let me give credit to Samsung for something that I think Apple please, should do. Please do. This will aggravate a lot of listeners. But I like that go. Samsung staggers uh, their Galaxy uh, S and Galaxy Note launches throughout the year so you get the galaxy s earlier in the year and the note later in the year and i kind of wish apple would do that for a few reasons uh number one the iphone right now it's all or nothing like it's um and especially if you look at like the stock and what the expectations are and the sales you know the peaks and valleys right new yeah, iphones everyone come knows to- that that fall bump is going to be the bump and everyone knows that there's sort of a lull before it because everyone's waiting for that bump Right, and, and if, if Apple's going to m- continue to have this divide between the Plus and the regular phones, let's just launch them separately and let them stand on their own. And I think it'd be nice to see like a March or April iPhone launch and then a September-October iPhone launch, which would A, kind of spread things out, and B, uh, it would make it so that uh, sales wouldn't be so crazy, and Apple would also get to have the advantage of these, you know, these crazy carrier deals where you can get like three new phones a year or something if you pay them X amount a month. People could be getting a new, you know, iPhone eight plus in April and then a eight in uh, in in September or whatever. Like, I feel like everybody would win in that situation, right? Investors yes. would be happier. Consumers would have more options. Apple would have more time to let the products breathe and stand on their own. Well, except that then they'd have to also be developing that many more products all the time, and um, so that that would be the race. They, that they wouldn't have to be. They're already they're already developing two separate products that come out at the same time. The iPhone Seven and iPhone Seven Plus came out at the same time. Interesting proposition. I, I wonder. I mean, you, you end up with currently there are these these uh, plans, the way these things are sold for carriers who, who say, you know, upgrade any time so that you can always have the latest device. Um, you know, you're going to be either currently up to date or a year out of date or, you know, six months to seven months out of date kind of thing. It's, it's a different. Does it make sense? 
does it make sense to do that? <laughs> I don't really care that much personally. It's just I figured I would uh, throw a bone Samsung's way and say one thing that they do that I like. That's very generous of you, Neil. Yeah, I'm we, we thank guy. you for that. That's very kind of you to say so. You got it. All right. So one of the other stories that we wrote about was uh, you, you wrote this. It was uh, a look inside Tim Cook's Apple HomeKit equipped smart home. So this was just one of those things where I was, as I was listening to the conference call, um, Tim Cook kind of uh, gave a little personal detour and talked about how he uses HomeKit in his home. And I, I found this to be a little interesting just because uh, obviously Tim's a guy who... Um, you know uh, him personally, don't you? Yes, yes. <laughs> Mr. Cook is a guy who uh, uh, he is personal. Um, he has said that very uh, a few times in interviews that uh, he doesn't like to get into his personal life. He doesn't like to talk about it. You know, he likes he likes his privacy. Um, so I, I found it kind of interesting because you don't really think about these things. You know, they make these products and whatever, but it's a job for all them. And but it's funny to think, you know, at the end of the day, Tim Cook is going to go home and relax and get aggravated with HomeKit just like I do. So um, <laughs> I nice. Very so I uh, uh, so I, he was talking about things that he does with HomeKit, and I found it particularly interesting that uh, two of the specific activities that he cited uh, in his daily example of what he does with HomeKit are not HomeKit compatible accessories. Uh, one of the things that he does is he has Siri in the morning make him coffee. Uh, there is no way to have Siri make you coffee unless you use a, a smart uh, plug and then get a dumb coffee maker that just is automatically runs um, when it gets power to it. And the other thing he mentioned was that he has Siri turn on his fireplace. So, of course, this is Tim let's, Cook. Let's, he, let's, let's, let's quickly run through the other things that he does, because those sure. are the exceptions. Okay. So, you know, he, he uh, like you said, so in the morning, he says, he says, good morning to Siri, which kicks off a good morning scene. His house lights come on. And the coffee starts brewing. So he's got HomeKit lighting, which is either going to be something like a Philips Hue or one of the other bulbs that are compatible or the uh, the in-wall switch kind of thing like a Lutron. Right. Right? So so he's, you know, Nanoleaf makes bulbs too, although I don't know anyone who's got Nanoleaf bulbs besides me. But uh, so he's got, Philips, he's, he's got lights and he's got, as you say, a smart switch that kicks off the coffee maker. Right. And that's all tied to a good morning scene, probably, because if then, he's telling Siri he good says, morning, that's he goes to the living room to relax in the evening, he uses Siri to adjust the lighting again and to turn on the fireplace. And then he said uh, when he leaves the house, a simple tap on his phone turns the lights off, adjusts the thermostat down, and, and locks the doors. Okay, so, so he's got an, an evening thing where he adjusts the lighting and turns on a fireplace. And, and you tackled the fireplace problem because – what, what, there, there are no obviously HomeKit enabled fireplaces unless he's got a beta unit that we don't know about. Right. So uh, unless there's a a Apple Fire out there or something. Um, uh, well, you know, the uh, the modern flames with HomeKit in it developed, right. and, and he's got the the uh, the unit for qualification. That's he's not got related. one of those Apple TV apps where it's a Christmas Yule log. Oh no, those are epic! <laughs> but ten I mean, hours of looped fireplace video. So there's really only two ways that you could that you could do this. Uh, you would need to either get a smart switch on the wall uh, mm -hmm. that would be connected to the the electric fireplace, or right. you would have to have some form of a electric fireplace that had a low enough voltage that it could go through one of these smart plugs. Uh, the smart plug does not seem likely to me. I would say it's more likely a switch. I mean. Well, let's let's we're thinking about this a little too narrowly, I think. OK. You know, this is Tim Cook, who has a lot of resources at his disposal, both monetary and engineering. Right. And I think it's entirely possible that they, they know HomeKit inside out. Right. They've got the reference boards for it because they darn well made it. He could have an engineer spin up a HomeKit reference board that handles the signals for igniting the fireplace and turning the gas on with a servo. I'm sure that is possible. I don't want to believe that uh, just because uh, I personally think that if you are the CEO of Apple, you should probably be using your products the way that the average consumer is and not some custom built hacked up jiggery pokery. 
Now, yeah. to be to be fair, this is his this is his home. However, he wants to live his life. That's his business. If he wants to, you know, have Apple put together some custom build for him that nobody else can get, that's pretty cool. And you know, certainly, you know, Mark Zuckerberg's done stuff like that. It wouldn't be uh, it wouldn't be unheard of. However, uh, I think it would be in the best interest of Apple and its consumers if Tim Cook had to struggle with HomeKit just like I do. Because he should know how it works and the effort that it takes to do these kind of things. Because there are plenty of people out the whole reason we wrote this story, I'm sure there are plenty of people out there with electric fireplaces who would love to be able to control it with Siri. So I wrote the story to give people an idea of how it might work. Um, and, and certainly it is possible to make it work with without getting too hacky. You, you could make yeah. it work. So smart switch to turn on an electric fireplace or some other plan to ignite one. And, and uh, let's not forget, this wasn't like, this was something that he volunteered to brag about how good HomeKit is on a quarterly earnings call promoting his company. You know, why would you brag about this if it was a custom install that Apple hacked together? For? Well, like, it's, it's, it's not about the individual products because he didn't name the products. What it's about is how it fits around his life. Right. It's 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 not about, right. you know, we're, we're trying to figure out and suss out, OK, so what's he got so we can use the same kind of things. It's about here's stuff that we made and it integrates naturally into my life. I don't have to work to try and use this. I think it would be a mistake for him to promote it and even mention it in the first place if it was not some off the shelf type of. Fine. I'll, I'll accept use. that. I'll concede. I concede, sir. So <laughs> when, when he leaves the house, a simple tap on his phone turns off the lights. We know how to do that. Adjusts the thermostat down and locks the doors. So this is another good night scene or leaving the house scene. Mm -hmm, yep. And it simply goes through and, and hits all of those, right? Right. So, uh, you know, you have a few options for thermostats. Uh, the most popular, I think, is the Ecobee 3. Uh, they have an Ecobee 3 light version. It's a little cheaper that doesn't come with all the sensors. Uh, Honeywell also makes the Lyric T5 thermostat yeah. that's that is HomeKit compatible. Uh, mm -hmm. Things like Google Nest uh, or no longer Google, I just guess just Nest uh, are not compatible with HomeKit. Um, so you would have to, you know, the is, uh, the iDevices the thermostat is compatible, and I think the first alert one is as well. Oh, okay, I know first alert does a uh, smoke alarm as well. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, the locks. Um, there are three that I singled out in here. Um, you and I have experience with them. Uh, I've, I've been very happy with the Schlage Sense. Uh, and I know yeah. that you just have to get the quick set premise and you've used the August Smart Lock as well. Yes. Um, I, I've been very happy with the Schlage Sense. I, I know you were saying that you really like the quick set model, the new premise. Well, the, the, the Sense is a very good lock. Um, I, I like it a lot. I definitely like the, uh, the keypad on it. Um, I had some issues with it. I had some some support problems with mine, and so I've switched over to the Quickset Premise for now. And uh, I, I got to say, I like it very well. One of my favorite features of the uh, the Schlage is, and I'm guessing you can do this with the Quickset as well. Uh, I will uh, temporarily grant access to people to come to my apartment, so you can have it set during certain hours of the day, or. Uh, just enable it or disable it. You can even do it remotely. Um, and so I'll just make it a number that's easy for them to remember. So it'll be a four-digit number. It'll be, you know, the last four of their cell phone or something. And so when I was out of town last week, uh, I had a friend come over, cat sit for me, last four of his cell phone, enter him in on the pad. He could get into my apartment. I would get notifications whenever he had access to my apartment. It was very easy to stay on top of things and very secure. Yeah, I can do that too with the quick set. And I don't really have that. I haven't done it a whole lot just because I don't have people coming over when I'm not around. But um, one of the cool things about the quick set, so the, the Schlage pad is a, a very matte kind of plastic pad yeah. for its keypad entry. And so you, uh, you, you can't really see fingerprints on it very well. Right. The quick set premise keypad is a glossy finished version. So you can definitely see the smudges on it. To overcome this, they have by default turned on in software a security feature where they display different random numbers and you have to push those numbers before you can enter your new code. Right. So, so you that it obscures it. Yep. Too, too many fingerprints to really discern what the, the code is. And you can turn that off if you don't like it, but it's it's on by default, which I think is a good decision. Yeah, no, I think um, that's a clever design, although why not just go with a matte screen that doesn't show fingerprints? Who can say? <laughs> 
you know, you, when, when products are being made, right, they're being made by a number of different people. Right. There's, a, there's a design team that designs what the look must be like. There's the project manager or product managers responsible for overseeing the whole thing from beginning to end. There's the electrical engineering group. And each one of them brings up these reasons why it must be done their way. And, you know, everyone has a little bit of a give and take and compromise, but somehow the designers won out on having the glossy finish. And so the engineering overcame the problem with this feature. Another thing I really like about the Schlage that uh, uh, that I enjoy is uh, you can press the the button at the top of the touchscreen to lock the door when you're leaving, so I don't have to the break Schlage up. The Schlage logo case. is is the lock button on that, yeah. And uh, also, you can set it to auto lock after either a minute, two minutes, or four minutes. So if you leave the house and forget to lock the door, the lock just turns after four minutes. Yeah, and all of these have an auto lock feature, and as you say, the the norm is is in that one minute kind of increment the cool thing about premise i was looking at is that they have a different bunch of of increments on that let me see here so the auto lock delay i have it set to one minute but they uh, they start at 30 seconds so you can have it even shorter if you like if for some reason you're paranoid about having it open for that extra 30 seconds you can have it set it now uh, the other lock that we mentioned is the august smart lock and we should just note that uh the advantage to that one is you can use it with a lot of existing locks um, right. So, so all of these other ones are are the full deadbolt, and they replace the inside and the outside portion of the lock. Right. And uh, with Schlage, you you have to use their key that they provide with the lock, or have it rekey to have the cylinder altered to rekey to your your key. With Quickset, they have a a smart key thing where they rekey to your existing key. So if you have a quick set lock on your door and you replace it with the uh, quick set premise, you simply uh, insert the key that comes in the box, rotate it 90 degrees, put in a pin, and then take it out and put in your old key, and it re-keys itself for you to um, to your old key. Which that is concerns cool. me slightly. Um, it's, it's, in practice, it works very well. You have to have a working key in order to be able to re-key it, so you can't just come up and re-key something. Just seems like a, a potential point of it's, failure for security. It's quite well thought out. It really is. That's um, no, it's very cool. It's very cool. It just concerns it, me. I like it's, my locks relatively traditional. Well, and and Quickset is a traditional lock company. Right, and they, they you know, would would not have done something like this if they'd thought that it was an insecurity problem. Uh, August, on the other hand, is not a traditional lock company. August is a newcomer from Silicon Valley. And uh, August's approach is they don't even want to fool with the lock cylinder. They, they know that the lock cylinders are made by people who made locks for 100 years. Mm-hmm. They make the inside portion that replaces the flip lever. And they've put a motor on the inside of the door, and they're HomeKit compatible. They're Amazon Alexa compatible. They just announced compatibility with the Wink Bridge today. Um, they work with just about everything. And they are, are it's a very easy install. And, and as you say, the bonus is you keep your existing lock cylinder. So if you rent an apartment and want to automate, um, you can do this without offending your landlord because you aren't changing the key on him. Right. Now, Very there are features you lose, like you don't get the keypad and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I think there, it's good to have options out there. And, and thankfully, while there are, are limited options in some HomeKit accessories, I think the lock uh, situation is pretty good so far. Yeah, yes, I would say so. Um Let's let's move on to a touchy subject. Are you ready for a touchy subject, Neil? Let's do a touchy subject. All right. So uh, there was an executive order issued by an American president that uh, set a lot of people off and caused a a lot of uh, disruption at airports. And Apple has has done two things here. Apple is weighing legal action against the uh, the the immigration executive order and is matching employee donations to refugee relief funds. Mm-hmm. Uh, take it away. Go ahead and talk about that. Yeah, and Tim Cook also sent out an internal memo to employees um, uh, pledging support for anybody that might be affected by the immigration order. Um, it was a campaign promise by uh, our new president, Donald Trump, that he would limit immigration from certain uh, countries where uh, they were concerned about, to use the term used by the president, radical Islamic terrorism. Um 
And uh, this went into effect uh, in a rather uh, abrupt way that caught some people by surprise, including folks in the administration. Um, and uh, over the past weekend, uh, caused some some chaos uh, at at the airports with people being held that were already on flights coming to the United States, which then resulted in more chaos when uh, protests were uh, uh, demonstrators showed up at major airports. Um, to uh, show their opposition to it. This this bled over into tech in a number of ways, including uh, a uh, uh, strike for an hour by cab companies at JFK Airport, which Uber did not then recognize, uh, which then led to a boycott of Uber. So there, there are a lot of tech implications in this story from a lot of angles. Um, I realize it's a hot button issue, um, and it, we've had some comments from folks. We actually have to shut down the comments usually when we have stories of this nature, just because it turns into uh, people insulting each other. Um, and we've had emails from some readers who are not happy that we cover these things. Uh, to those people, I say, too bad. Uh, this is a issue that is relevant to a lot of people, and it is relevant to what we cover at Apple Insider. Uh, the CEO of Apple is personally taken a stake in this. He's gotten the company involved. Uh, if you come to Apple Insider, we cover all aspects of the company, including the ones that may make people feel uncomfortable. So I, I certainly don't ever want to make anybody feel uncomfortable or make them feel like they don't want to come read Apple Insider. Uh, but we try to cover these subjects with as even-handed of an approach as we can. Uh, but we will continue to cover these subjects because they're important and they're relevant. Right. And it's important to note that, that as you say, this touched tech in a lot of different ways. You know, uh, Sergey Brin, who is one of the founders of, of Google, uh, was at the San Francisco International Airport protests because he was an immigrant to this country. And um, they they led a walkout of employees at Google, um, the, the, uh, over 200 employees or about 2,000 or was there something employees at, something. Uh, at the Googleplex walked out and, uh, and demonstrated. Uh, you know, Elon Musk is a uh, immigrant from South Africa, uh, and he has weighed in on this subject. Um, so, you know, th there are a lot of uh, tech angles to this story that make it newsworthy for our readers. Right. And and so Tim is weighing legal options. Mr. Cook is weighing le legal options, or Apple, rather, is weighing legal options. Let's be very accurate here. Mm -hmm. Mr. Cook says Apple is weighing legal options in light of this executive order. Well, he attempts to personally put pressure on senior people in the White House to repeal the policy. And they are, as, as we said, also making contributions and matching contributions on a two-to-one basis. Right. And, and, and uh, we will continue to cover this story as it unfolds and as it is relevant to Apple. Uh, we're not going to become Donald Trump insider or anything like that. I don't think readers need to be concerned about that. But at the same time, um, if Apple is involved in something or takes a stand, or if even Tim Cook or one of Apple's executives speaks out, it's relevant to our readers. That's just the, that's just the fact of the matter. And, and uh, there's also a story about how uh, Recode, which is, is one of our uh, colleagues in this industry, is reporting that Apple, Facebook, Google, and other consumer goods companies are co-authoring a letter supporting immigration to the U.S. So there's, there's the legal action, there's donations and matching funds, and there's also a, uh, a, a letter-writing effort to advise the, uh, the administration about this. So there's a number of things going on here um, all around immigration and and how Apple and Google and Facebook feel that impacts and 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 uh, is important to their companies yeah uh, Silicon Valley has a lot of money and there's no other place like it on the planet and so it attracts a lot of talent from all over the world uh, folks that want to come there work raise venture capital start companies you name it um, a lot of them are immigrants or a lot of them come to America uh, for the opportunities that are offered here. And so these are people that are very passionate about this specific issue. And what I, what I would say is, is uh, and this is just an observation, is that the tech industry is, is one of these things where it's, it's very fragile in some ways, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, it seems like, oh, it's always going to be there. It's always been around. We've had Microsoft forever. We've had Apple forever. Surely these things are stable. But companies come and go all the time. Companies begin and end all the time. And things shift. Investment levels shift just on how people personally feel about the climate of things. And it's, it's one of those things where because investment and and support and the environment necessary to to birth these kinds of companies is um 
is, is so fragile and so changeable on on just what a few people feel about how things are going. Um, that's why I think some of them are so concerned about this this event. Does that make sense, Neil? Have I tried to say that well? Yeah, no, I think you said it well. Okay, I was trying to be careful about how I said that <laughs> and make sure that I express myself with clarity so that uh, so that I'm understood. Yeah, we're not so, going to be doing the keeping it 1600 podcast here or anything like that. But uh, at the same time, we're not going to we're not going to run away from subjects just because they make some people uncomfortable. So we've covered that. There we go. Um, one of the other interesting stories that I got, I got two more things that I want to cover here, Neil. I hope you can hang with me for them. I'll try and make them quick. Sure. Um, so it looked like Apple is developing an ARM-based Mac processor. Yeah. Um, I mean, there already is a iOS light in the uh, um, touch bar. Sure, for Touch ID. And- yeah. Um, supposedly... Apple is looking into creating a more advanced ARM processor for potentially the next generation or maybe a few years down the road MacBook uh, that would allow some functions of the Mac OS uh, to be offloaded, essentially, to the ARM processor. It was a Bloomberg story that speculated that perhaps uh, like uh, PowerNap and some other features, low power focused stuff could be handed off to the ARM processor. Uh, that would be an interesting development if true. Um, you can already, you know, there's some obviously crossover now with the touch bar being on the new MacBook Pros um, and obviously some of the dedicated processing going through that and the secure enclave for Touch ID and all that. Um, so I think um, I think it's a very interesting uh, idea. Uh, it, of course, it will lead to further speculation about Apple developing full-blown Macs running ARM processors instead of... Yeah, we, we've been uh, talking about that for years. Yeah, um, I mean, they're not there yet, but as every iPad gets more and more powerful, like we were talking about before, you know, your your four-year-old iPad is still pretty powerful. Well, those chips just keep getting faster. Um, and, you know, most people are not pushing the limits of what an iPad can do. And while it's not quite at a level yet to comfortably run Mac OS... Uh, if you don't think that Apple has a version of Mac OS running on an ARM processor deep in their Skunkworks lab somewhere, then you're not paying attention. Uh, clearly, this is something that Apple is interested in doing and would probably like to do uh, if they could get there. The One of the problems when people talk about how the Mac is not being updated that much is they're being held up by Intel processors. So uh, the RAM situation is not compatible with the current Intel processors, which is why they couldn't put 32 gigs of RAM in the 15-inch. Yeah, but that's, that's going to be resolved relatively shortly in the scheme of things. Okay, that's, but that's not a long-term problem. Is it's it? well, it continues to be a problem because Apple wants to put out MacBooks, and if they have everything ready to go except for availability of the chips from Intel, they are beholden to their partner who is constantly facing delays. Uh, Apple would have liked to have put out the new MacBook Pros that came out last year probably a lot sooner, um, and they probably would have liked to have had next-generation pr- chips in it, too, that just weren't available yet. Uh, they probably would have liked to have offered a 32-gig RAM option as well. So I, I think that um, this is a problem, and developing the chips in-house addresses that problem. Uh, new iPhones come out every year like clockwork. Uh, you get There will be this September a iPhone, whatever they want to call it, with an A11 or whatever they want to call it processor. That's just a fact. It's developed in-house at Apple, and they're going to crank it out, and they're going to get it done because through hell or high water, that's what they do. Um, Intel uh, has a lot of partners, a lot of goals, and they need to make a profit, and they're a supplier. It runs a little different there. Apple is beholden to them, makes it a little different for makes it a little difficult for Apple to meet the schedules they would like to meet. So uh, certainly there would be advantages to Apple switching to an ARM processor. This could be a step in that direction. Whether or not it eventually happens, I don't know, because uh, the the processing capabilities of Intel processors obviously um, uh, more advanced still than ARM processors, but the gap is closing. All right. Well, I I am I you know I, I go back I was, I was I keep thinking about what are the different alternate futures we could have and I, I like the idea of the alternate future of a Mac with an A series processor in it but that requires an Apple that cares about devoting attention to the Mac and Mac OS and things like that that we have continued to talk about and that leads me to a, a letter that you sent we got a letter an email from one of our listeners right you remember this letter mm-hmm. yep. Um, can, do you think it's okay if I read from it? Sure. All right. So we, we had a reader, a listener, uh, forgive me, who 
was I'm so glad we got this email where he's talking about his progression through computing and how he started out with an Amiga and then started then got a PC and built a high-end PC to do movie editing and and was struggling with it in in you know the early days it was probably about 1998 1999 to make DVD video out of it and then uh, years later got an iMac one of the uh, the aluminum backed models and you know, from from the moment that you plug in the digital camera and the message on the computer says, would you like to delete the file from your camera after I import it? He's hooked, right? Because it's that easy. Everything on the PC was a science project. My Mac just worked, says the email. And so he, he went all in. He got a MacBook Pro in 2009, five iPods, a MacBook Pro in 2012, Mac Minis, the iPad 2, the Apple TV, the, the Airport Express, the whole thing, iPhone 6 Plus, all of it. And... Um, he he uh, basically immersed himself in Apple, all in. And, you know, occasionally used Boot Camp and Windows because there was stuff that he needed to do from PC and had files from work and things like that. But um, this is where he starts getting into trouble, right? These, these are experiences that maybe other listeners can relate to. You know, updating from uh, Mac OS 10.8 to 10.9, and it kills the Boot Camp partition. So you reload Windows and you carry on. Or that some capabilities disappear with each new version of the OS, but there are also new things added. Or you go to listen to radio stations in iTunes because iTunes has been around forever and you've always been able to tune in internet radio, except that now that's changed because it's now Apple Music and Apple Music wants a subscription. Or you use Pandora to listen to internet radio. Or you, 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 know, you use some of the other things to listen to music on boot camp. Or you buy music and CDs on Amazon, but then then the Mac starts restarting on its own without a chime after the 10.11.4 upgrade. Or um, you open a support ticket with Apple, and an Apple engineer calls back and says, well, try some tests. And they fix the issue, but after eight months and several OS updates, it happens that they figure it out. You know, the, the, the perception here is that the old Apple things worked, and things worked reliably, and things just worked. And, and maybe there were a few bumps or hiccups here and there, but they weren't big bumps or hiccups. And the experience overall is that after all of these things, it doesn't just work any longer. So this, this listener has changed from using the Apple TV and is now using an Amazon Fire TV. They had the iPhone 6, and it failed just after it was paid off, or before it was paid off, but just out of Apple's warranty. You know, Apple's getting rid of the routers. So what are we supposed to choose for routers now? Um, it's, it's, uh, the real concern here is, is what's happening with Apple, that it doesn't feel like there's the same emphasis on quality of support, on quality of product released, that it's, it's just, it's harder to upgrade, it's harder to use, and that the shine has come off of it. You know, the hardware is higher quality than, than many of the other products out there you'll find. Failures are still pretty rare, except, well, okay, you know, the iPhone does fail, airports fail, stuff like that. But for the most part, the hardware is great, but the, the, the software feels like the attention has gone off of it. That the, the goal is to get these products out as fast as it can, better, bigger, faster, smaller, thinner, whatever. But it's, it's, the attention has gone out of it. So our, our listener, and I'm really grateful we got this email, closes with what I think is probably the best sentence that I've, I've read in a good while, which says, I think Apple needs to let the dreamers loose again. Let them do what they do best. And I'm so glad we got that email. Thank you. So, Neil, that's, that's all I have for this week for the podcast. Is there anything you'd like to add? No, I, I, think, uh, I think we're good. All right. Where can people find you on the Internet? Uh, I, you can read my stuff at appleinsider.com, and I am on Twitter at thisisneil, N-E-I-L. I'm Victor Marks, your host for this podcast, and uh, if, if Neil goes for a run, we'll tell you all about it next week on the Apple Insider podcast. I'd like to thank again Mara for sponsoring today's episode. Mara is a hands-free running assistant that uses cutting-edge voice recognition to help coach you to better runs. Play music, get updates on your location, pace, or weather, and compare your current speed with past runs without ever stopping to look at your phone. Because using your earbuds, Mara can hear your commands and put them into action. Download your new running partner free at mara.ai today. <laughs>